and welcome to Bird on Wednesday. Oh, I'm, I'm early. That's it. Got to do it again. Good evening and welcome to the Word on Wednesday. I am Pastor Winfred Burns and it's of Word Worship and Witness Ministries, and I am delighted to be with you tonight. Tonight we're doing something different. We're going to talk dirty. And the title of tonight's show is Dirty Words in the Bible, Part 1. And we're going to deal with just one of the dirty words tonight. And then over the next couple of weeks while we're on the holidays, we'll deal with a couple of more. I thought we could have a little fun with this as well as learn some things um, as, as through this holiday season. And again, we'll be back uh, starting... Um, Second uh, Samuel at the beginning of the year, but until then, we're just going to have some fun. Amen? Um, let's have a word of prayer, and then after a word of prayer, I want to make sure that I give everybody out there an invitation to um, accept Jesus as Savior, and then we'll get into the dirty words. Okay. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. God, we come thanking you for just wonderful holidays. We thank you, God, that you brought us through them, and not in a, you didn't bring us through in a bad way. You had to bring us through in a good way. We were able to turn away from the extra piece of cake on a couple of occasions. We were able to stop at one helping on a couple of occasions. And so we didn't overeat too bad, but we had fun. And you opened the door for us to have fun by providing for us, and so we give you thanks for that. We thank you for our family, um, both blood-bought family as well as families that we were born into naturally. God, they're all so important to us, and, you know, the older we get, the more important they get because it seems like they leave us, and when they leave us, we really miss them. So, Father, we thank you that you teach us to appreciate them while they're here, and to look forward to seeing them again in eternity. Thank you for that, O oh God. Now tonight we need you to speak to your people, your people who want to learn of you, your people who want to hear from you. God, we thank you for, for putting it on our heart to do this particular type of lesson, and we pray that we can have fun with it as well as learn from it. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, um, the other thing that we want to do tonight is we want to give you an invitation to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And what do we mean that when we say that? We want you to take advantage of what God has done. What has God done? God has provided a way for you to have fellowship with him into eternity. God sent his son uh, to deal with the problem that we had. That problem was sin, because sin separates us from God. Um, and so God didn't want to be separated from us. The Lord desired for us to to be with him. It was, you know, that was his plan from the beginning, but because of some things that we did, God bless you, because of some things that we did, um, we were separated from God. And he didn't like that because he loves us so much. And so sin had to be dealt with, and he dealt with it by sacrificing his son on Calvary. And his son gave his life so we can be restored to fellowship with God. And all you have to do to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior is just trust and believe in him. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for your sins, that's all you need to do is by faith tell, tell, tell God, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and then ask him to be your Savior, and he'll save you. He will save you. Hallelujah. So if, you, if tonight you really believe that, all you need to do is just pray that little prayer and say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and Lord, I ask him to be my Savior. I repent of my sins. Please come into my heart and save me. And God will do that. And then the other thing I want you to do is I want you to find a Christian friend, somebody that you, you, that you can trust, 
or, or a church and a pastor, somebody, and, and ask them to teach you more about salvation. They want to do it. They want you to know God, and they want you to be connected to God. And God, more importantly, God wants you to be connected to him. He wants, he, he wants you to know that you're his son, that you're his daughter. And so with that said, all you need to do is pray that prayer and then find somebody to help you the rest of the way. If you can't, I mean, you can always give me a call. You can call me at 929-477-2304, or you can email me at wburns7756 at gmail.com. And we can get together and we can correspond and we can get that all wrapped up for you because I'm looking forward to seeing all of you in, the, in, in heaven. When Jesus comes back to get us all, if I'm still around, I look for you to be flying away with me. Amen? I look for you to get caught up to meet him in the air, and boy, be looking back saying, bye, 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 bye. Okay. So I know you. I know you are waiting with bated breath. So what's this dirty word? You ready? The dirty word. Hey, how you doing? The dirty word for tonight. A word that Christians consider. To be dirty is discipline. That's the dirty word for tonight, discipline. And now you say, why is, why is discipline a dirty word? Discipline is a dirty word because we don't understand what discipline is. Think about it. Let's just think about it for a second. What do you think about when you think about the word discipline? The first thing that you think about when you, when we look at the word discipline is, uh-oh, it's something I can't do. Or it's something that somebody is about to do to me that I ain't going to like. When I think of the word discipline, the first thing that conjures up in my mind is my mama with an extension cord telling me to take my clothes off because she ain't going to whoop her clothes. And when we have those images as reference, anytime we see the word discipline in the Bible, we kind of, oh, God, no, uh-uh. And because we don't understand that, that we've got it in our hearts wrong, we've got it in our minds wrong, that when we hear the word discipline, it's almost like I'm ready to cuss. I'm ready to run off. i got to get away from here. These people are crazy. But really, what we need to look at is what does this word really mean? And what does this word really mean when we talk about discipline in connection with God? Because another thing that, that we that we found that that I found out is that, you know, when when we talk about God disciplining us, or you know, uh, when He promised that He's going to discipline us as chil as His children, we think about God the same way we think about our parents in terms of discipline. When we did something wrong, what do we do? We hid, we ran off someplace, we got our lie together. Oh, did I get my lie together? Because the one thing that we did not want is the punishment that's associated with discipline. And so we transfer that to God, and we think that God is disciplining us when uh, we lose somebody, when we lose a job, when we when we uh, are in a position of lack. This is God, you know, or we think God is whipping us. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Our understanding of discipline is so out of kilter that we shun it. And the one thing that I can tell you is that discipline is a good thing. I mean, and, and even our parents, is, as misguided as some of them were, were you know, because I couldn't imagine, I don't know about you, but I couldn't imagine doing to my children what my mother did to me. Yet I knew 
and I still know that my mother loved me, but how in the world are you teaching somebody something by telling them to strip butt naked and then braiding up an extension cord or getting a belt and beating them till blood come out of them? That's not that. That's not that's that's we can we don't. I'm glad we've graduated from that, but it, it to 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 you know kind of show you where that came from. That was the discipline that they received, and they received worse discipline than we did. And their parents received worse discipline than that. I mean, go back two, three generations ago, and we're, we're talking slavery. And what did the master do? The master would tie them to trees, take a bull whip, and just flay them. And this was done to instill fear in them. When we discipline our children, we don't want to instill fear, and we don't discipline from a place of anger. So if we know that we don't do that, why do you think that God will discipline you from a place of anger? Why do you think that God is going to do something to hurt you? Why do you think that on the one hand he tells us how much he loves us, but then to show how much he loves us, he you know, does bad things to us? Nothing can be farther from the truth, and so it's time that we get a good understanding of what discipline really is and how it should impact our life, and more importantly, how it relates to God and the importance of discipline. Do you know if we had discipline in our lives, you know, um, that there would be less diabetes? If I had a better discipline, you know, because I was taught how to eat. But when I got on my own, I did what I wanted to do. So in my house, you didn't see a lot of red meat because we couldn't afford it. You didn't see a lot of sweets because we couldn't afford it. But you had greens and you had vegetables and we had beans. Oh, we ate beans. We ate so many beans that it was ridiculous. Oh, but how healthy we ate. We ate healthy, but the moment I got on my own, I could tell you some chicken places that don't even exist anymore. Remember Chicken Unlimited? If you're in Chicago, I know you remember Chicken Unlimited. Chicken Unlimited, uh, these, are my, these are my joints. Chicken Unlimited, Popeye's, uh, Church's Chicken. Woo, Church's was the bomb because Church's had them great big old pieces of chicken. It looked like... Looked like you're going in, your chicken breast was about the size of a, uh, a dog's breast or something. It was so big. You know, and it was always fried. Everything was fried. And I didn't have discipline. I ate as many hostess Twinkies as I wanted. I drank as much pop as I wanted. You know, some people going back, back in the day, it would be 10 of us on a 16-ounce, and I'd go buy myself a two-liter and get me some ice and just go crazy. No discipline has led to being in a pl the place that I mean, we were taught. We were, we were taught these things, but we didn't discipline ourselves. And so where are we at right now? Now we got to take all kinds of pills and stuff. Why? Because we didn't have discipline. Now, if we, I'm just using that as an example of how lack of discipline causes destruction. And if I really, and if we really, really look at other areas of our lives, Discipline in making and paying bills, managing our money. Some of us are in bad situations because we lack that discipline, the discipline to exercise. Some of us are in trouble because we lack that discipline, discipline in following instructions. Some of us are in trouble because we lack that discipline. And these are, this is just an example of why discipline is important. But even more, let me say, discipline in your walk with Christ. Why are we lagging behind? Why is the church in such dire shape? The church is in trouble simply because we lack discipline, because we reject discipline. You let a pastor tell you something about what you got on is not pertaining to godliness, and you're going to give that pastor a piece of your mind. You ain't got no business telling me what I'm supposed to wear. Or let him tell you that uh, that 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 girl that you're seeing right now, 
um, she's not exactly somebody that you should, you ain't picking for me, I ain't picked for you. Or how the, how the worship should proceed. If we don't like something, we just get up and leave. Or we complain about it and give a pastor such a hard time that he say, you know, <laughs> ooh, sister so-and-so need to go someplace. Because of the lack of discipline. And because, because and, and we lack the discipline because we don't understand what it produces and what it's for and how it relates to God. So, once you grab your Bible and let's start on a little word study and see what God is saying concerning discipline. And what I want you to do is I want you to go over to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And we're not going to we're going to spend just a few minutes on there. And the reason why we're going to spend some minutes on that because there's a couple of words that are used throughout the Bible for discipline, but they all are going to bring us to the same point, and I want you to see how they work. Amen? So go to Deuteronomy. I know you all there already because you all got those them little old Bibles where you don't turn the pages. You got them on your, what do you call that thing? Excuse me. <coughs> Ooh. It's a little chilly in here tonight. Should turn the heat up. Okay. And go to verse 5. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5. It says, you know what? Let me start reading at 8.1 so I can get I can make, get some context out of this for everybody. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then, excuse me, are you you all right? Oh, that was my wife coming in here, and I could hear myself talking. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Now, that word discipline is a derivative of a Hebrew word, yakar. And that word yakar means to instruct, to bind, to correct, to punish, to reform, to reprove, or to teach. I'll say it again. The word discipline in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5, is the word yakar. It's a Hebrew word, and it means to instruct, to bind, to correct, to punish, to reform, to reprove, and to teach. Now, go back and look at the, there was a reason why I read those five verses. Go back and look and, and see the context that he uses that in. And what he's talking about is, number one, he starts with that first verse and he says, be careful to follow the commands. The commands are the structure that he, that he gives us for life. So when God commands us to do something, what he's doing is he's giving us the instruction manual that will lead us to a good and prosperous life. You see, and look at, the, look at what, he, what, he, what he shows us, because he paints a beautiful picture. It says, remember how your God led you. God leading us, instructing us, showing us how to walk in the desert these 40 years, and he used this walk to, number one, to humble you. And when God is trying to humble us, what he's trying to do is make sure that we get a, 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 the proper sense of self. 
What do you mean he gives the proper sense of self? The proper sense of self is that God is our father. We are his children. He doesn't need us. We need him. And now, But also the sense that he loves us so much that he provides for us. Look what he says. He says, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna. Basically, he let you know through the way he walked with you that you could not feed yourself, but that not only that you couldn't feed yourself, but that he is your provider. You see, before, and you'll see it when you read, especially in the Exodus, how they looked back toward Egypt and looked at Egypt as a source. Remember when they started grumbling and they they was telling Moses, Back in Egypt, we was eating onions and cucumbers and leeks and all that kind of stuff. Now we out here and we got, we, we got nothing to eat. And God showed them, yes, you do. When you got me, you have everything. And so he was training them to be dependent upon him and to look to him for their resources because he was their source. How many of us right now get, because of our own arrogance, think that we're actually providing for ourselves? How many of us think that it's that job that we got, we got this good job and we're doing good, and it causes us sometimes to forget that it was God that gave you the sense to walk in, to put the application in. It was God that gave you the favor with the person making the decision, and it's God that gives you the skill to keep the job that you have right now. It's his grace and his love that he makes a way for us to have the provision. So it's not us, it's him. And and that's what he's doing here. Now, he's instructing them. He's teaching them. He's showing them, this is how we operate. Do what I say do, the way I say do it, and you will live a great life. It's not about what you can't do. Discipline is not about what you can't do. You have a free will to do anything you want to do. But If you do it your way, if we lack the discipline, then just like the example that I was giving earlier, if you eat fried chicken and Pepsi-Cola every day, your body ain't going to work right. You're going to wind up having too much of this and not enough of that. And so what God says, if you do it the way I showed you to do it, if you treat your body the way that I want you to treat it, If you do the things that I want you to do, you will prosper, not just in your health, not just in your wealth, but in your spirit, man. Discipline is not something that's dirty. Discipline is not something that that, that, that God is saying, oh, you can't do that. Discipline shows you how to maximize your life in Christ. Now, there's another word that's used for discipline. Turn over to Proverbs 13. I'll just give you a taste because generally there's about four or five words that are used throughout the Bible uh, for discipline. And just in case you're doing a word study and you say, well, wait a minute, hold it. Now, what is this? Um, if you get, when you go through your concordance and your lexicon, and you see it, you'll see it used different ways. But literally they all come to the same meaning um, this word that I'm going to give you right now in Proverbs 13:24, just turn over real quick. Oh, I'm glad I'm not in no Bible drill with those kids. And we used to have Bible drills, and I didn't, I didn't win them then. Proverbs 13 and 24. It says, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Now, that word is the word, what is it? It's Mosera, uh, Mosera. Yeah, Proverbs thirteen twenty-four. It's Mosera. And that word specifically means correct. Now, look at the first part of that verse. He who spares the rod hates his son. Now, it's from that passage 
that we get the idea that it's all right to beat our kids. And sometimes when we're younger, a smack on the butt is a good wake-up call because there are times when kids don't understand what we're saying. And so we have to, you know, as they say, get a little physical with them. And I'm talking about a smack on the butt. I ain't talking about you taking your belt off and beating the hell out of no child. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about you doing that Bernie Mac stuff and, and you know, how Bernie used to laugh and say, ooh, when a child old enough to talk and talk back, you need to punch him in the chest and the throat. No. No, no, no. And as long as it, correction, the purpose of correction is instruction. And when we correct our children, we have to know how to correct them properly. Now, I'm not good at that with kids. I only know basically two ways to get a kid to do something. And that's why my children are grown, and that's why they won't allow me to keep their kids. My son, you know, he bring my grandson over here to, for me to see him. But ain't no, you know, ain't no staying with Grandpa because Grandpa got two strategies, and it's the same two strategies that I used on them, and they are they, neither one of them are good. The first strategy is to take my belt off and threaten them. The second strategy is to give them whatever they want to get them to be quiet. So if they want money, they can have it. If they want the big old $4 bag of Doritos, they can have it. If they want the whole box of chocolate cupcakes, they can have it. Just don't bother me. And my children will tell you, that's pretty much the way my father is. He, you know, one or the other. He's going to either give you sugar or he's going to try to beat you to death. And so and let, no, neither one of them are right. No, you, you have to develop individual disciplinary strategies for each of your children and it needs to come not from a place of anger, but from a place of love. Because one of the things that you are going to discover is that when God is disciplining us, the discipline that he gives us is, and I'm talking about his children, I'm talking about Christians, the discipline that we receive from God comes from a place of love. It does not come from a place of judgment. God does not look at you and say, oh, you didn't do this. You won't do that. You won't. I, I told you to do this, and so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you better than I could tell you. And he doesn't take out his divine belt or his divine extension cord and get you someplace and just beat you to death. He does not do that. That is not his character. How can he be a loving father and, and, and half kill us trying to correct us. Uh-uh. When correction is involved with one of his children, the worst thing that you'll ever see is that God will dismiss you to your own mess. What does Paul say? Turn that one over to Satan. He, basically, he won't act like the devil. Let him go home with the devil. And let, let him see what the devil is going to do to him. And he says it's for the destruction of the flesh that his soul might be saved. So when we choose not to receive the discipline of God, when we choose not to walk according to the commandments of God, God will sometimes say, is that what you want? Go and get it. Go and get it. I've told you that's not something that you want. I've told you the way to do it. And I'm your loving father, and so I'm going to let you go on and get a taste of it. Think about this for a second. Go to, the, go to the parable of the prodigal son. What does the father do? The father, the son, the, the son comes and says, give me my stuff. I want my share right now. And then what does, he, what does the father do? The father says, he's going to take it. Even though you shouldn't be getting it right now, go on and take it. And he lets him go and do what he wants to do, and he finds himself down in a pig sty, ready to eat the pig food, not the pig, which he's forbidden to do because he's a good Jew, 
but the pig food before he come to his senses and say, uh-uh, I'd rather be a servant than have to eat this. I'm going to my daddy's house. I'll be his servant because the servants, they're eating better than this. I can get better treatment. And he comes back. God will allow us. He will allow us to get to walk with the devil. He sure will. Always waiting for you to come to yourself and say, uh-uh. He will allow you to get with that girl that he told you, uh-uh, no, leave that fast tail thing alone. He'll allow you to get with that guy. And you know your daddy told you, uh-uh, I know that boy. I know boys like him. He ain't right, but you, but daddy, I, I, that's what I want. Okay. And then all of a sudden, guess what? You calling daddy or you calling mama, and you say, mama, this girl don't do nothing. She don't know how to cook. She don't know how to clean. All she do is fuss, and I'm going to work, and I'm doing that. And, and you, know you, you know your mama want to say it so bad. I told you about her. But she just say, well, baby, I don't know. I'll pray for you. Same thing, you know. So the discipline that God advances toward us does not come from a place of wrath. It comes from a place of love. That's number one. So we don't have to be scared of that. Two, Old Testament discipline, just like New Testament discipline, involve correction. Now, in the Old Testament, you'll see that punishment also associated with that word yakar. Okay, you'll see that word. But we're children of grace. We, we operate under God's grace. We operate under God's love. And it's a whole lot of stuff that they, if they didn't do, they were getting punished for it. They were, they were receiving wrath for it. So you say, well, now wait a minute. So did God change? No. God made a covenant agreement with them, and the covenant required them, and they agreed to the covenant. The covenant was sealed in blood. Go back and, go back and read in Exodus. That covenant was sealed with blood. And, and so they had agreed at Mount Sinai. What did they say? When the Lord said, look, you do this, you do this, you do this. And they said, all that you have said, told us, we're going to do. They entered into that agreement. And so when they broke that covenant agreement, when they broke the law, they had to bring the sacrifices. They had to come and they had to confess. And they had to do a number of things with, with those animal sacrifices so they could stay in right relationship with God. Here in Deuteronomy, God is basically saying, look, I'm going to discipline you. I am going to discipline you. I am going to teach you. That's his promise. That is God's promise. So, look, let me jump over to Hebrews real quick. Hebrews chapter 12. That's where we're going to, that's where we're going to get the, the bulk of our teaching from tonight. So you saw what discipline meant in the Old Testament, right? Now look in the, look in the New Testament. Because there's a passage that uses that word repeatedly in Hebrews chapter 12. And I, th I thought that that was the best passage to, to really bring it home. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse, uh, where am I at now? Let's start at, um, who I like, I, I love Hebrews chapter 12, but I'm, and I will start reading at verse 1, but I'm not. I'm going to read it, I'm going to start at verse 4. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. Listen to this. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Look at, look at, um, look at verse 5. Starting at the 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 quotation part, my son, the five B it would be, my son, 
Watch these words. Now, I'm going to highlight the words. Do not make light of the Lord's discipline. That's the first word I want to use. And do not lose heart when he rebukes. That's the second word I want to use. You. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Now, the key word that we're looking at is discipline, but there's some descriptors of the discipline in this passage that I want to get back to. I highlighted them real quick. But first of all, when we look at the word discipline in the, in, in the New Testament that's derived from the Greek, it is the word padeo. And basically, it is two words that comes. The first part is pas, which means child, which means child. So what he, what we, what he establishes with this word is the, is the parent-child relationship. Uh, okay, I see somebody said, I have chastens. Chastens in the NIV version will, will did you say NIV or King James? Was it NIV or King James? Put that up there again for me so I can see which one it was. Because in the um, in the King James, it uses the word chastens. Okay, they translate it as chastens, and that's where we NIV. Ooh. I don't know what kind of NIV you got. I'm reading it. Well, maybe you have a different version than I'm because I'm reading this out of the NIV too. Anyway, so when uh, that that word chastens. Them whom he loves, he chastens. That you'll also find that that, that in the uh, King James version, and it is that word that I think led to a lot of under, misunderstanding. Okay, that word because when we think of chasten, we think of chastise. When we think of chastise, we think of whipping, rather than instructing, rather than teaching. And the word NAS, New American Standard, is that New American Standard. I didn't look it up in the New American Standard, um, but they're all all of them come from the same uh, Hebrew or Greek words. It is how the translator chooses to uh, portray for consistency. Okay, but when you when you look, go back into your Strong's, go back into um, if you've got if you've got any Greek or Hebrew uh, um, theological lexicons, what you'll see is you'll see the word um, uh, you'll see the word yakar, um, you'll see the word padeo, and padeo, as I was just explaining, is a word that means child training, child discipline, child rearing, and it's 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 to paint the picture of a of a child in training. And when God talks about the, his discipline, there is sometimes rebuke involved in it. There is, there is sometimes just straight-up instruction. And rebuke and instruction, let's just deal with those two real quick. You ever trained children or you ever been trained on a job? When we're doing something, let's, let's talk as adults for a second, okay? When you're trained on a job, that trainer will show you how to do something, and if you don't do it right, they'll turn around, and if they're a good trainer, they'll say, no, that's wrong. Guess what that trainer just did? That trainer just rebuked you. To rebuke someone is merely you saying, no, that's wrong. That's not the right way to do it. That's improper. And sometimes... It, it goes a little farther, telling you what you did wrong and what you need to do to be right, to do it right. And we are supposed to rebuke. Okay, so we get this thing about rebuke, meaning in our mind sometimes when somebody rebukes us, that they're criticizing us. And in the church, we don't want uh-uh, uh, you know and. There are some churches that make a great big deal about rebuke, you know, rebuke them openly that others may fear. Oh, when you they they translate the passage completely wrong. You are going to correct them openly so others may be in reverence, in right order. 
You see, you're doing all everything that you're doing in, in a rebuke is not about you being right and them being wrong or you putting somebody in their place. Uh-uh. That's how the Gentiles do it. That's how the people outside of Christ do it. When we rebuke somebody, first of all, or when we instruct somebody or bring, help them bring discipline into their lives, we go up to them and we, we, first of all, we go in love. We go like God would go. When God shows you something that you are doing wrong, I want you to think about it for a second. When God reveals something that you are doing wrong, does he just all of a sudden appear with all his thunderbolts and angels and, and just like, or does he catch you sometime off to the side and say, now, girl, that's not the way we do that. That's not right. Is, 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 isn't that the way he does? Doesn't he speak to our heart in such a, a gentle way, prodding us? And, you, and the Holy Spirit leading us in the word quietly or meeting us in prayer and saying to us in prayer, now, you asked me about this, and I'm going to tell you. When you said such and such a thing the other day, you know that you were not telling the truth. And you know why you weren't telling the truth, because you was trying to get your way. And that's not the way we do stuff. That's not the way it's supposed to be done. Isn't that the way that God talks to us? lovingly and correcting us and showing us his word and leading us with a loving Holy Spirit. And that's the way we're supposed to deliver a rebuke. And why are we doing it that way? Because we want everybody in the Christian community to be standing together and being rewarded together and walking together in such a manner that it's pleasing to God. That's all. We're just helping each other please the Lord in our walk. Now, let's go. Here in this passage, go back to the discipline part. It's padeo, and it's derived from the word pas, and the original intent meaning is to bring a child, up a child to educate him to use the use of activity directed toward the moral, the moral and spiritual nurture and training of a child that, to influence the, his will and behavior. Let me read that again because that's, uh, that's a definition that, that I, I, I found today. It's the use of activity directed toward the moral and spiritual nurture and training of a child to influence the will and behavior. So what's God doing when he rebukes us, when he disciplines us, and sometimes even when he allows punishment to come upon us? He is trying to train us in the way we walk. He's trying to influence our spirit man. He's trying to nurture us in, in holiness. He's trying, to, he's trying to make us like himself and bring out the behaviors in us that are reflective of him. Now, think about that for a second. Look at, look at the passage one more time. It says, don't lose my son. Do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't ignore it. Do not ignore it. Do not act like it ain't nothing. Do not act like what God is trying to teach you, how God is trying to change you, train you, is no big deal, and you can take it or leave it. Uh-uh. Because remember what we talked about earlier? When God is training us, he's trying to train us to live our best lives for him. He's training us how to advance the kingdom. He's training us how to live so we can bring him glory. He's trying to train us so we can maximize our time on earth for him to bring him glory and to live wonderful and glorious lives. That's his purpose. What does the Bible say? I want you to prosper even as your soul prospers. Sometimes we think that discipline is basically for outward appearances, but no. 
God is disciplining us in the in our spirit man. He wants us to receive that discipline because it's coming from the spirit. And what's happening as we receive the word of God, as we receive and accept and obey the leading of God's Holy Spirit, it's going to be reflected outside. It's going to be an external reflection of what's going on on our inside. So we should not shun discipline. We shouldn't fear discipline. As a matter of fact, we should welcome the discipline of God. Let me tell you, let me switch switch just a little bit. You ever watch sports? What happens when discipline on a team falls apart? You got a losing team, first of all, and you'll see them losing. Play doesn't go right, and all of a sudden, instead of them acting as a team, they start barking at each other. They're fighting at each other. When we lose discipline in our home between husband and wives and between uh, parents and children, what happens? You see a lot of fussing and fighting and anger and division and splitting. Anybody going off to do their own thing. That's because the discipline is being destroyed. We're not following the command. What is the command of God in the home? It says husbands love wives. Wives, reverence husbands. What else does it say? Children, obey your parents. That's the, that's the structure within the home. And if we follow those simple things, what do you get? You get a happy home. For you men out there, happy wife, happy life. For you women out there, you want to see your, you, as they say, you want to be really, really loved and, and picked up and carried on a pedestal. Ooh. Tell your man he's Superman. Tell him, you know what, stop arguing with him when he tell you something that you don't agree with. Chances are he don't even understand it, but he's not going to hear you if you're fussing at him. No. You say, well, baby, okay, um, I don't understand what you're doing, but you know what? I trust you, and I'm just going to try to I'm gonna do the best I can with it. And in the meantime, in between time, ask God, okay, Lord, this guy talking about putting a roof on by himself in the wintertime with all of them shingles to save $50. It sounds crazy to me, but that's what he said he's going to do, so I'm going to have to haul some shingles. And you know I don't like hauling no shingles and getting up on the roof, and I don't think we could do that. I don't think he could do it. We about to mess up the Lord, and you go and tell the Lord that. <coughs> and you know what? The Lord, will, the Lord will speak to him. Not only will the Lord speak to him, but he'll have one of the guys that works there. Man, you know you don't know how to put no roof on. I'll come over there with you, but you know you don't know how to put no roof on. But now we know this dude over here that know how to put a roof on. Let's get him to come over there. You see, when you pray and intervene in the right way, but also showing that man that respect, even though he is crazy for thinking about doing it, ask me how I know about it. Because my wife has to pray from time to time for some of the cockamamie things that I'm thinking about doing. No, I ain't got no business trying to do it, but, you know, I'm the man. And she just goes someplace and pray. After she say, well, do you really think you should do that? And I'm like, yeah, I'm finna do it. I'm finna do blah, 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 blah. And just before I kill my fool self, you know, she plays the role of Abigail. She shows up and gets that thing off of me. So if you do and follow God's command, what happens? Your best life. Your man comes back and he's thinking, yeah, my baby, she, you know, we was going to do it that way and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, and then you ain't got to tell him you prayed and the Lord and, and how relieved you are. You just uh, just smile and say, okay, well, if that's the way you want to do it, blah, blah, blah. And then go in, the, go in the bedroom and have yourself a hallelujah party, thanking Jesus for once again leading that man the right way. Why do you think God put him here, you here? to lead us away from our foolish self sometime. But let's finish. Discipline. When you, don't have, when you don't have order in the church, when you don't have discipline in the church, what do you have? You have what, we, what you see right now. You have factions and divisions. You have this people saying, I want to do it this way, and another person saying, I want to do it that way, and if the pastor don't do this, you, that, that's how you open the door up to all that confusion. But when we have discipline, when we teach discipline, when we train our children according to the word of God, what do you think happens? We have unity. 
We're that team that comes out on the field, and we know the play. We know our position. We know that if we're the point guard on the basketball team, we know that it's not our job to do all the shooting. It's our job to get that ball up that court, make sure everybody's in the right place that they're in, and then pass the ball so we can get the ball in the basket, to give it to the right person at the right time. If we're on a football team, we know what our job is. If we're the linebacker, we know we're supposed to fill a hole. We're supposed to make sure that running back don't get someplace. We don't run over there with the wide receiver. No, that's not our job. That's the cornerback's job. Everybody has a position in the body of Christ, and if we learn how to play the assigned positions and we play as a disciplined team, we advance the kingdom of God. But we don't advance the kingdom of God, number one, if we ain't playing the right game, and two, if we're not in our positions within the body. And so just like if I go out there and eat that fried chicken and Pepsi-Cola when I should be eating greens and when I should be eating vegetables and when I should have a piece of fruit or something like that to bring the health to my body, when I don't do what God has prescribed for my body, and I do my own thing, I bring death to myself. I turn myself over, literally, to the scheme of Satan, who is going to try to get me to kill myself. See, some of us, the devil ain't trying to kill us. He's just sitting back watching and thinking, I ain't got to kill him. He's going to kill himself. I don't have to tear up her family. I don't have to tear up her home. She's going to tear it up herself. Running her mouth like that or, you know, doing stuff behind her husband's back. She's going to do that. I don't have to go into that church and cause chaos because they're not going to be disciplined enough to follow the word of God so they will tear the, te- the church up themselves. The devil ain't in there. The devil don't come visit our church. We bring him. But if we want to advance the kingdom of God, then we stop looking at discipline as a dirty word and we start looking at it as God training us to be his disciplined people. Or where do you think the word disciple comes from? God training his children to follow him and learn his ways and become more and more like him every day. And there's a lot of different ways that we need to discipline ourselves. We need to discipline ourselves in the word. The, 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 The word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathways. We need to discipline ourselves in our prayer life. Some of us, you know, we pray every now and then. But a disciplined time in the word, a disciplined time in prayer, and when I say a disciplined time in prayer, I don't mean a disciplined time of you talking to God and then getting up running. I mean sitting there praying and meditating and listening for what God is saying to you and receiving instruction. A disciplined time with God. Every day, a disciplined habit of how you're going to uh, treat your body in holiness, how how you're really going to regard it as the vessel of God, spiritually and physically. Oh, yeah, spiritually and physically. I can do that spiritual thing, that physical thing sometimes get away from me. How we feed this body, this temple, so when God calls us to service, we ain't got to get up and wheeze and all that kind of stuff and be saying, oh, pray my strength in the Lord. No, we've got him a a, a robust, productive vessel that he could, as they say, that he could use supernaturally. How we discipline ourselves in our relationships how we discipline ourselves in our giving, how we discipline ourselves in every area of life. Or I'm saying it wrong, how we receive the discipline of God in every area of our life 
and respond by faith and obey it. That's the way I needed to say that. You see, because when we, here's the thing, without, we can practice self-discipline, and some of us are good at it, but most of us are terrible at self-discipline. So what we need to do is we need to yield that over to God and say, God, this is an area that I'm very undisciplined in, and I need your help. I need your discipline, and then you need to receive it by faith. And when I say receive it by faith, I mean if you're if you're if the area that God wants to discipline you in is is just reading your Bible, then you need to say, God, I need the discipline to sit down with my word every day, and I need you to help me with it by your Spirit. Lead me into your word daily, and then receive that by faith, and just get up the next day and say, This is what I'm doing. This is what God's going to empower me to do. This is what God and expect Him to do it and cooperate with Him. And you have to do it the way God shows you how to do it because, you know, when he raises you, he knows how you are. So for me, it's getting up first thing in the morning and making sure that I get in my word. Yeah. Not my, not my word to study, to, to teach you, but my word to study so God can speak to me. And I do that in the morning. You might not be that kind of person where you do it first thing in the morning. You might be an afternoon person at lunchtime, or you might be a, a person that, that, God, that can hear God better at 6 o'clock or 9 o'clock at night, however he leads you. Same thing with your prayer time. That's praying all day long, but there's a time when you have to, you know, as they say, let, that, that's best for you and God. Find it, ask God for the discipline to stick to it, and then just do it. Now, I've got a couple of things that I'm going to close out with. So, <clears throat> one, discipline is not meant for your destruction. Discipline is more than just correction. Discipline does not come from a place of wrath. Discipline comes from a place of love. When God disciplines you, he is trying to bring you into your best life. He's not telling you what, uh, giving you a bunch of thou shall not. He's showing you that if you do do that, it's not going to get you what you really need. And he's instructing you in the way to get to a place where you can bring him glory and praise. That's what those instructions are for to teach you how to be a true reflection of God in your walk here on earth. That's what discipline is. Let me just read something to you real quick. I've, I was pulling up some quotes, and here's one. A small but always persistent discipline is a great force. For a soft drop falling pursuit out hard rock. What are you saying there? I'm saying to you, Start small and just keep going, a little bit at a time. If today, and let's use my eating as an example. If it's fried chicken is my demise, and I eat fried chicken five days a week, God ain't asking me to go cold turkey. But what if I just cut it down to four days, and then down to three days, and then down to two days, and then down to no days, or occasionally? I don't want to go to no days. Just occasionally I have some fried chicken. I wear that thing down. Now look at areas of your life and think about it for a second. Just small incremental changes. You're not reading your word except on Sundays. What happens if you say, you know what, I'm going to set aside a time uh, three days a week to make sure I get into my word, or two days a week to make sure I get into my word. The next thing you know, you're getting it and that thing gets tasting so good, you're like, Whoa, i got to have some of this every day. Discipline's not a bad thing. Discipline is not a bad word. Discipline is not a dirty word. Discipline is, a, coming from God, is a word that basically says, I love you, and I love you so much that I'm not going to let you destroy yourself. I'm going to do with you, my child. I'm going to bring you, I'm going to mold you, I'm going to make you into the man or the woman that I created you to be. And you will bring me glory 
in your life because I love you. Amen? So with that said, that's our first dirty word that is now a clean word. That's now a welcome word. I bless you, and I praise God for you tonight.